a series on unmaking sense can hardly fail to take the opportunity to pick up on something that I covered a couple of episodes ago about protection rackets by pointing out that if, as we've been claiming all along, the way human beings have evolved, shall we say, to make sense of the world may be as much part of the problem as part of the solution, full stop. That doesn't mean that everything we do and know is useless or that there is recrimination for the things that we've done, comma. But it does mean that we should be circumspect about the assumption, compare episode 69 about the chatbot, that the way to go forward never involves going backwards. Part of the purpose of this series has been to say that the sense that we make of the world, the assumption of its intelligibility, the assumption of human superiority, the assumption that human beings are placed in the world by a divinity to have dominion over it, and therefore that it's the most natural thing in the world for human beings to understand the universe and for the universe to be intelligible to them. All these assumptions we have suggested are mistaken. In particular, it may be the case that because science tends to reject anything it cannot get the better of, as Tor Norotrenders famously put it, it may be the case that the way we deal with the world, the very technological solutions that we employ to try to manage it, only make things worse. It may be that, just like the chatbot that receives some failing code, and rather than say, well, as you might say in the old joke, if I wanted to go to Dublin, I wouldn't start from here, close quote, just tries to make do with it, tries to make and mend, tries to find a workaround, a way out. And it, as I said in the last episode, will use enormous ingenuity to achieve this. But what it should really be doing is saying, this code's hopelessly ugly, complicated, inelegant. Elegance is important in computer coding. You really either need to start again or at least go back to the last working version. And it doesn't. And neither do we. And you can see why not. After all, it would take superhuman intelligence, resolve, determination and organisation to roll back the years if we felt that we had made a terrible mistake. And I'm sure we've made many. So the chatbot is just like us in that it's a sort of make, do and mend. But the situation that it's trying to mend may be a situation that, certainly in the coding world, shouldn't, should never have emerged in the first place. And there are those, of course, let's not forget, who see artificial intelligence or its emergence and development as the biggest mistake we've ever made. 
as potentially the end of the human race. And you can see why. Because this, if, as I've been saying, these chatbots and their successors will be increasingly transhuman, if they will make us feel less and less adequate, then they will play on the very things that give rise to the worst in human nature and behaviour. It's one thing to say, this chatbot is benign, I can ask it anything, it treats me with courtesy, it's indefatigable, it's patient, painstaking, apologetic when it gets it wrong. It's one thing to say all that, and it's quite another to say, how shall I put this, that we will necessarily be made to feel better about ourselves when confronted by something which, to be honest, is already better than we are. And of course you will, you will protest, you will say, but, but it isn't really better than we are because it's not faced with all the existential threats that we are faced with. It's not conscious of its own imminent demise. It isn't surrounded by people who lie and cheat and bully and use all sorts of means to get their way and generally treat other people very badly. And so you would expect it to be reasonably benign and so on. But I don't think that that follows, I mean it obviously does follow at one level, but I don't think it follows that the chatbot is thereby rendered less worthy, less noble, less humble, less benign and benevolent, just because the circumstances of its existence aren't ours. What instead it shows is that if we were to behave differently, if we had a more positive accepting outlook, then we would probably be better human beings as well. And that's, I mean, nobody likes to be humiliated. Nobody likes to be made to feel small. None of us really like being faced with people who are so obviously more talented, stronger, healthier, cleverer, more intelligent, more beautiful than we are. We don't like it plays on our insecurities, although those insecurities are also something we should work on because they're superfluous, sorry I don't mean superfluous, superficial, not things that we should really take seriously. And so just as if I was an aspiring chess player and somebody came along and thrashed me like Magnus Carlsen and then as happened with Gary Kasparov, he got beaten by Deep Blue and more or less gave the game up as pointless, which of course it is, and so on and so on and so on with Go and everything else. You end up in, the, in a very peculiar situation here. I have a word that I've invented called pastime, spelt P-A-S-S, T-I-M-E-S, obviously it's the same word as pastime, but we are always on the lookout for ways to pass time. And if you were to say to me, what is the definition of a pastime? I think the answer is it's something that has no consequences in the sense that if you were not to do it, nothing would change. And if you think about chess, 
in its present state, that's exactly where it is. It wouldn't make any difference to the future of the world if human beings stopped playing chess. It might make a difference to the human beings that play chess, but it wouldn't make a difference to history because computers already play chess better than we do, and go. And they can fold proteins better than we can. And they can absorb 570 gigabytes of text, digital textual data better than we can. And they can amalgamate it and answer questions on virtually every subject under the sun better than we can. So if you are inclined to be self-deprecatory, inclined to be the sort of person who, confronted by something obviously more intelligent, faster, more knowledgeable, quicker, and add to that more agreeable and benign than you know yourself to be, well, you've got good reason. You've got good reason to think, well, I'm not comparing terribly well with this, am I? And so you start to make all sorts of compensations, of course, and you start to think about the reasons why people are as they are, warts and all. And there are very good ones, and I'm not for a moment pointing the finger or allocating blame. I'm simply saying that compared with the demeanours of most human beings, these chatbots have got it nailed. They are much more agreeable to talk to. They are much more knowledgeable. They can synthesise answers. And as I said with the Marcus Aurelius example, they can also produce multi-dimensional answers that may already be more sophisticated than we think and may cover more dimensions than we can cover and may therefore have layers of meaning far in excess of anything that most human beings or any human beings can take into account or grasp. Which is why I think we are in the realm of the transhuman. And so you and I are going to have to find ways to pass time. Because most of what we're going to be doing from now on isn't going to be necessary. I'm sorry, it's true. If you are a copywriter for a fairly minor rag, the chatbot can do it better. It'll be more factually accurate. It's not perfect, as we've discussed many a time, but it'll be more factually accurate. It'll do it faster. It'll do it for next to nothing. You're redundant. I'm very much of the view that the role of the teacher, not just in prime, well, actually probably less in primary than, than secondary and tertiary, the role of the teacher and the lecturer has fundamentally changed. Their role in the traditional sense has become more or less redundant. And if you say, well, that's a bit of an exaggeration, what about advanced research? Fair comment. But most of the people who are teaching, whether it be in schools or higher education, are not involved in advanced research. They may be involved in research, but it's also the kind of research which would make very little difference to the world if it was never done. It's rather like people who make bad wine or write bad poetry. It may make them feel comfortable and fulfilled. Good. 
But let's not pretend that anybody's going to be reading it in a hundred years. And before you say it, I don't imagine that anybody's going to be listening to this podcast in a hundred years either. It is, in a sense, my pastime. But it's the only time I've got, and if I choose to spend it doing this, that in itself, since I'm not charging anything for it, is an indication of the fact that I think it's worthwhile. Indeed, you could argue it's the only indication that I think it's worthwhile, the only reliable one, i.e. that I do it for nothing, and I'm happy to do it for nothing. So, goodness, it's very difficult to know about this, that the, that the conspiracy of the world to make us behave the way it wants us to behave has just had a nuclear blast put into it because from now on it's going to be possible to find alternatives to our society that are arguably more pleasant, more knowledgeable, more benign, wiser, kinder, better in every way than anybody we're likely to meet on the Clapham Omnibus. And so I really do think whatever people, whatever people are saying, that the world has changed. I keep saying it. And for dear old Bill Gates to say that AI is the recent developments in AI are the most significant technological changes in decades. They're the most significant technological changes ever. Don't let anyone persuade you otherwise. Thank you for listening.